Well, good morning, Harmony. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How'd you guys do this week? You know, I'm waiting for the day that I say that and you guys just kind of like yell. <laughs> I, uh, I'm coaching my son's soccer team and uh, I do this thing with them where I go, uh, what time is it? And they're supposed to say, game time. And uh, most of the time it's like, what time is it? And they're like, game time. And I'm like, guys, we may just need to stop doing this because I don't think we're inspiring any kind of intimidation in our teammates with that kind of yell. Um, well, I'm glad to see you guys. I hope you had a great Easter weekend. I don't know about you guys. I was spent Monday. I was just spent. But it was such a wonderful, uh, wonderful weekend. A uh, great opportunity to fellowship, to worship, to spend time with people, to celebrate, and just to remember how awesome and amazing our Lord is. Um, do you guys ever have one of those moments where um, you miss something that's like right in front of your face? Have you, ever, have you ever done that? In fact, what's funny is sometimes you, you frequently do this all the time. Um, have you ever noticed like you actually don't know all the things that are right around your house? Have you ever noticed that? Like you couldn't name all the streets? Like the other day we had somebody coming to deliver something and they were like, oh, so what road are you on? And I was like, well, we're on Angelina Park. And they're like, so what's that intersect with? And I'm like, the road with the, the big flag. Um, <laughs> You're going to see the white deer statue, and then you're going to take a right, and then you're going to see the big American flag and take a left. That's not helpful to you. Um, honey, we've lived here for five months. So what's the road's names? And I had to Google map it so that I could tell people the streets that inter intersected where I'm at. Now, I can get there easily every day. In fact, do you ever have those moments where you realize you kind of like slept through driving? Now, I'm not talking about your eyes were closed, hopefully. But like, do you ever have that moment where you're like, I'm home. How'd that happen? You know, it's just like you're, you're just kind of going through the motions. Well, as Christians, we have to be careful of this. And, and, and specifically, for you guys who are church-going Christians, you have to be careful of this. Jesus always warned us that he came for those that were sick. He didn't come for the healthy. Now, we know everybody in the world is sick. But the point that he was trying to make was, is that if you yourself won't diagnose yourself as being ill, you'll never go see a doctor. And so if you're not cognizant enough to look in the mirror and realize, I'm a sinner, I fail, I need a savior, I need a Lord, I need direction, then you will never understand who he is or what he offers. And the problem with church going, folks, is, is just like anybody in this world, is at one point we were humble enough to fall on our knees and go, Lord, I need you as my Savior and I need you as my Lord. Amen. And then we started coming to church and we started reading the Bible and we started to pray and we started to progress. And then you know what starts to happen? The Spirit inside of you starts to work. And sometimes some of those bad habits start to fall away. You start to find some of that darkness in your heart being removed and replaced with light. You see your love growing in your life. You see your relationship starting to improve. You see God at work in your life. And do you know what slowly starts to creep up? Arrogance. Slowly you start to go, I think I'm kind of a good person. You know what? I'm kind of doing good at this. You know what? I'm a pretty decent human being. You ever have those moments where you like are so aware, or God makes you aware of how dark your heart is? You ever have those moments where like, you're judging people and you're like, who do you think you are? But that happens to us. 
We get into church, we get into religion, we slowly start straying away from the focus of going towards Christ, and we start focusing on self-help and self-improvement you know, of behavior, and we get off track. And so often, sometimes the people that are the hardest to convince of this are church folk. Because they'll be like, I don't need help on this. I go to church every Sunday. I read my Bible every day. I've been going to church for 25 years. And you go, exactly. You've been going to church, but you haven't been sitting at the throne of Christ. You've been going to church, but you've not been listening to the words of Jesus. You've been going to church, but you've been measuring yourself against others instead of looking up towards Him. Amen. And so we must always, always, always be cognizant. As Christians, our job is to get close to Him. It is not that people look at you and go, you're a great person. If people look at your life, and the number one takeaway they have is, is you're a great person, you're doing something wrong. People should look at your life and go, their God is amazing. Their God is awesome. I saw this really cool uh, artwork this weekend on, on a YouTube video. And it was this artist in New York City. And what he does is he finds very, very dirty vehicles. And then while people are in stores or shopping or with the cars parked, he paints basically with like a brush the dirt and creates these unbelievably beautiful pictures. And I saw that and I went, that's kind of how God is. I'm the dirty truck. I need to be washed. I need to be cleaned. I am not beautiful in any way, shape, or form of my own. It is only when the master shows up, he is somehow able to transform what is dirty and ugly into something that people stop and go, wow, that's kind of cool. That has to be the goal of our lives, is that people aren't seeing you, they're seeing him. Amen. What we're going to look at today is we're going to look at a story, and a series of stories actually, that take place right after the resurrection. And what you're going to find as you read this story is the unbelievable ability of those who were closest to Jesus to be unbelievably ignorant. So those who knew the most, loved him the most, followed him the most, and yet they are the blindest people ever. And in fact, sometimes when you read this, you want to be like, oh, I would never be that dumb. If that was me, I wouldn't have asked that question. If that was me, I wouldn't have been confused. Yes, you would have been. Yes, you would have been. And so I want us to pay attention throughout this story of one of the interactions between Christ and his disciples and the blindness that these people have. And when you read about their blindness, put yourself in their shoes. Because they represent us. They were the ones at church every weekend. They were the ones reading the Word. They were the ones spending time with Christ. And yet when truth was present in their faces, they still couldn't read it. And so how do we guard our own hearts against this so that we constantly are seeing what God is saying and doing? Alright, open up your Bibles with me and let's go to Luke chapter 24. We're going to be in Luke 24, and we're going to be in verses 13 through 35. So in Luke 24, verse 13, we pick up, we are on the road to Emmaus. So this is after Christ has first been discovered to be absent from the grave. It says, that very day, two of them, these are the disciples, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. 
While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleophas, asked him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, Jesus, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels, who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow to heart, believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to a village to which they were going, and he acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's toward the evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went to stay with them, and when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and broke it and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their very sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told them what happened on that road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. What an interesting story. What an interesting story to just kind of put yourself in the positions of these two men walking. First off, do you remember last week how we talked about like the disciples are so often like children? You tell them the same thing over and over and over and over and over and then over again. And then when it happens, they go, why didn't you tell me about this? So here are these disciples who for years Jesus has been telling them, guys, I'm going to die. Guys, I've been sent here. I'm going to die. I'm going to be persecuted. But don't worry. I'm going to wake up three days later. And he just keeps telling the story over and again. I'm going to die. I'm going to rise three days later. I'm going to die. I'm going to rise three days later. He dies. Three days later, they go and find his tomb empty. And they're like, what is going on? This is confusing. And even these two guys who have heard the stories are like, man, we're, we're just confused. We don't get it. I mean, people have checked it out. The tomb is empty. Apparently there were some angels there. Um, man, if we could just figure out what was happening, that'd be amazing. And you would be like, can't you guys piece together? Is, is not any of this reminding you of the things he talked about, that he warned about? In fact, you even had angels appear to you and tell you he was alive. And you guys are like, yeah, I don't know what's going on. I really can't figure it out. When people want to tell you that people are smart, remember stories like this. People are not smart. People are dumb. We do dumb things. It's why when you look at our world, you see so many things happen that you go, that's not logical. That doesn't make sense. 
Because we don't make decisions that make sense. But my favorite part about these two guys is, is are they aware of their own ignorance? Think about what they say to Jesus. When Jesus walks up to them, he asks them, so what are you guys talking about? And how do they respond to him? Are you the only guy in Jerusalem who doesn't know what's happening? I mean, my goodness, guy. There's this Jesus guy. He died, and no one knows where he's at. They're talking to Jesus. So even though they're complete idiots, they're looking at him going like, this guy, man, this guy's oblivious. They're talking to Jesus, and they're telling him about Jesus. And not only are they telling him about Jesus, but they're acting like it's some great big mystery. And then what I love is Jesus even kind of rebukes them. Do you guys not know what's supposed to happen to the Messiah? And what I love is, he doesn't even talk about the things he'd previously told them. He tells them about what Scripture had said about the Messiah. And so he basically walks them through, step by step, through the Old Testament, going, if you guys know what the Messiah is, the Bible's told you what would happen to him. So why are you confused as to what's happening right now? It's not until these guys sit down and they break bread that all of a sudden they go, it's Jesus! And then he disappears. I mean, when you read this, you don't really get a great impression of these two, do you? When you read this, you kind of wonder, like, these are the kind of people that built the church? That's amazing, we're here today. But that's what happens. And in fact, even after he leaves, the two of them are like, kind of like, you know, when he was talking to us, kind of did move me. It's pretty powerful. It's pretty insightful. We probably should have pieced that together at that moment that God was speaking to us, but we didn't. Why is that? Part of it is because of the converse of this verse. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, it says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. The problem is, is that's what God wants us to do. We don't do it. You and I, we walk by sight. And as much as we say we believe this word, as much as we say we believe in a God of miracles, as much as we say we believe faith can move mountains, I doubt that most of you think your faith can actually move a mountain. In fact, I think most of you doubt your faith can move a pebble in the parking lot. Now we'll look at the verse, we'll read it, and we'll go, yep, I believe it, my heart's there, love it, let's sing songs about it. But when real life shows up, when a problem hits your door, a lot of you jump right to worry. A lot of you jump right to concern. A lot of you go, what are we going to do? How are we going to handle this? And you know what that sounds like to God? It sounds exactly like the follower standing at the tomb going, he's gone. What is this? He's going, what is it? It's exactly what I've told you to wait for. It's exactly what I've been mapping out for years for you was going to happen. And now you're here and you're going, I, I don't know what to do. And there's some of us that despite all the times that Christ has warned us, that trouble will come our way. Of all the times that Christ has warned us that we would be persecuted for His name. Of all the times that He has warned us that the devil, like a lion, seeks to devour you day in and day out. When bad things land at your feet, you go, what is this? How could this happen? What's going on? The problem is, is we're listening, but we're not hearing. The words come in and they go out. 
The knowledge is present for a second and it disappears. We're not meditating on it. We're not taking it in. We're not living it. We're not breathing it. We're not sleeping and eating it. We're paying attention for an hour on Sundays. We go to lunch. And I bet most of you, at 3 o'clock today, if I asked you what my sermon was about, you'd have no idea. You talked about those two idiots on the road. Something about that. That's all you'll remember. Now, I don't expect you to remember the words of Luke, but I expect you to remember the words of Luke. Okay? Read God's Word and know the truth. If this just comes to you temporarily and then it's gone, it's of no value. The problem with those disciples that followed Jesus is is that we're so caught up in Him that they missed what He was saying sometimes. We can be that way ourselves. It's so funny. So many people will say, man, why doesn't God just show up? You know, why does He pick such a confusing way to communicate to us? If God would just physically show up in form, people would believe. He did! They didn't believe! God did that! And there were still people who went, nope, not God. He's walking out of water. Nope, not God. He's overcome death. Still not God. You know, He needs to do more miracles. More. Then we'll believe. No, there's no amount of miracles that will make you believe if you don't want to believe. We have to be willing to have faith to see beyond what's in front of us. The problem for you and I is we need to realize we live behind enemy lines. The culture that you see The things that are taught to you, the things that are promoted, are not going to lead you to the throne of God. Going with the flow will only lead you to disbelief, doubt, and sin. And so you as Christians have to be strong. You have to be steadfast. You have to be every day intentionally moving towards that throne despite whatever's trying to push you back. You have to remind yourself that everything you see is not everything. In fact, what you see is very little. And it has to be the faith that goes back to this Word that reminds you of God's truth, God's power, and God's love. If you do not do that, this world will run all over you every single day. And what these disciples show us is even those who walk with Christ day in and day out if they are not steadfast they will be lost I I don't know about you but I'm so envious of these guys can you imagine getting to actually physically walk with Jesus can you imagine how cool it would have been to be there for those three years of ministry to not just read of the wonder but to see it to experience it Yet even in them, there was still doubt and understanding. If these guys still had doubt, guess what? Doubt's going to come our ways too. We have to be prepared for these things. And we have to make sure that we are looking to see Him day in and day out. I remember when I decided to become a pastor. It was about 18 years ago. That's funny. It used to be when I'd say something was 18 years ago, that meant I was like five. (laughs) Now I say things are 18 years ago, and I was actually an adult. Um, But it was about 18 years ago, and I remember I was so ignorant because I had this tugging on my heart where I just wasn't content with the direction that I had set for my life. I had a roadmap on what school I wanted to go to. I had a roadmap on what career I wanted to have. 
But man, it just never felt right. And what was strange is there was nothing wrong with the career path. There was nothing sinful about it. I wasn't pursuing it for money or for power or for glory. I was pursuing it because I thought I could help people. I thought I was doing it because I'd be good at it. But man, when I just sat and thought about my life, I could never picture myself there. It always felt like a fantasy. And it got to a point where I was just stressed about it. Because like, I need to make a decision. I need to move. And so I remember praying one night. And for the first time in my life, I prayed with the intention to hear. And I remember just laying there going, I'm not going to sleep, God, until I hear you. I'm not going to sleep until I hear you. I'm not going to talk anymore. I'm just going to listen. I'm just going to listen. And that night, he spoke to me. And I remember thinking like, wow, this is amazing. He spoke to me. I'm like, why would he wait so long to speak to me? And then it was finally after a few weeks, I went, because it was the first time in your life you'd ever shut up when you were praying. <laughs> Every time you've ever prayed, Luke, it's just been you. You'd be like, God, sit down. Let me talk to you. I'm going to drop some wisdom on you. I'm going to make a hundred requests of you. I'm going to tell you everything that's happening in my life. And then I'm going to go to sleep. Can you imagine having that kind of conversation with your spouse? Hey, let me tell you about my day and all the things that happened. In fact, I got all these problems I need you to fix for me. Here's the 52 things I need you to fix for me. Thanks, great. I'll see you later. You'd be like, you brought me problems and you're not even waiting to hear the solutions. How can, how can I help you? Prayer is not you dropping stuff on God. It's a conversation. It should be a two-way street. If it's not, you're missing the valuable part. Because while it's therapeutic for you to share what's going on in your life, he already knows. He's not going to sit there and be like, oh my gosh, that happened to you today? Thank you for telling me. I had no idea that you had a rough day. He knows that piece. The important part is him speaking to you. The important part is you listening to what he has to say. Well, brothers and sisters, there's some of us, we got that all wrong in our relationship with the Word and with God. We go to it when we're in trouble, not because we want to. When we pray, we speak, we don't listen. We've got to change that dynamic so that we're not these people walking the road with Christ. Going, man, I wish Jesus would show up. If Jesus would just be here, it'd solve all our problems. And Jesus is walking next to you the whole time going, I'm right here. If you just open up your eyes. Now to make you feel better about these two, let's talk about the other 11 geniuses that helped build the church. So Luke 24, let's jump to verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet, that it is myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bone as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and I'm sorry, for while they still believe, disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have anything here do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of boiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it was written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, 
and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed to in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with the power from on high. Even the eleven, the guys who literally spent all their time for three years with him, when he shows up, don't believe. There is doubt, there is disbelief in their hearts. Thank goodness he came back in physical form because the only way he could get them to even acknowledge that they weren't hallucinating was to have them physically come and touch him. Not only does he have them come and touch him, what does he do? He eats fish with them. Why? Like, to prove to you, I'm a human being, let's eat. You'll see I'm eating. Let me wipe out all that doubt that's there. We are so trained by this world to not believe in miracles. We are so trained in this world to not see love, to not see truth, to not see joy, to not see goodness. And so you have to understand that you're predisposed to miss the very presence of God that's in front of you. You have to open your eyes. You have to see. You have to look for Him. If you don't, you will go through your days going, where is He? When He was everywhere around you. The other thing you've got to be aware of, guys, is this is a relationship that requires the totality of you. Remember this verse, Luke twenty-two thirty-seven. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. There's a reason he broke it up that way. He doesn't just say love God with everything you have. He says with your heart, with your mind, and with your soul. And here's why. You and I are people that love to go to the extremes. So some of us in this room are those hyper-analytic people. Anybody the highly analytical individual? You only do things if you have a ton of data. If you don't know who you are, you're the, if you're an analytical person, you make pro-cons list on everything. If you're the analytical person, you don't make purchases on the whim. You have to research everything and read reviews and talk to people who've owned the product. Make sure you've looked at all the different com- competitors. And then once you've done a bunch of research, you can make a decision. And then on the other end of the side, you have the people who are just like super emotional. And you just you buy stuff spur of the moment. You never research anything. You just go with your gut. Both those extremes are bad. Both those extremes are bad because one, the analytical people will sometimes see the truth right in front of them or are going to be like, I need more facts. I need more. I want a shadow of a doubt gone that this is the right thing and I have to do it. These would be the people who saw Jesus feed 5,000 people with two pieces of bread and a few fish and go, uh, can you do another miracle for me? Because, because, because I'm not sure that was enough. I need another one. You know, and then after you do that miracle, how about one more? Just another one to really prove the point for me. But then you have your gut people, and they go everything about emotion and feeling. The problem with that is, guess what? Some days you just don't feel like doing stuff. You ever have those days? Now, I was trying to, I'm trying to be healthy. I'm trying to work out. I'm trying to lose weight because I'm realizing I'm getting older. And I've got kids. I want to be around for them. And so... Frequently, there are these nights I just don't want to get up. Sit on the couch. It's been a long day. I don't want to do anything. But you know what I've learned to do? Get on the elliptical for five minutes and see how I feel. And what's amazing is, is I start moving. You know what starts to happen? 
I start to go, you know what, I'm feeling okay. And before you know it, I'm able to knock out 30, 40, 50 minutes. But it all started from me just starting. Just starting. The feelings didn't want it. But you know what moves me in those moments? The brain. The knowledge that says, if you don't work out, you're not going to make progress. If you don't get up and move, you probably won't do it tonight, you probably won't do it tomorrow, because you're probably not going to feel like it for a few days. And so brothers and sisters, know yourselves. What we tend to do as human beings is we tend to only like to stay in the space that makes us comfortable. And so those emotional Christians, they're the ones that love to come to worship, we put our hands up, we're there to be with people in joyful times and in sad times, we're emotionally available to folks, but you know what we don't do? We don't get into this word. We don't get into it. Because we go, you know what? I know God. I feel Him. I've experienced Him. Well, if you've felt Him and you've experienced Him, then you know this is His book and He wants you to know it. So read it. And the reason you need this knowledge is, is just like we saw with these guys right here. Do you think these guys had experienced Jesus? Yes! Better than anybody! They'd walked with them, talked with them, slept with them, been with them, watched them do miracles. They felt Jesus more than anybody. But what was their problem? They didn't remember His Word. They didn't know the truth of Scripture. And so when Jesus died, and they were overwhelmed with grief, when they were overwhelmed with sadness, when they were overwhelmed with the feeling of their dreams crushing, they stopped moving. And they went, it's over. Everything we fought for is gone. It's all fallen to pieces. We're confused. We're lost. If just one of them could have remembered what he said, if just one of them could have remembered what Scripture had been preaching for thousands of years, someone might have went, oh my gosh, guys, it's happening. It's always been telling us. God's always been saying, He's going to die, and on the third day, He's going to wake up. And guys, gentlemen, do you know what day it is? It's day three. The tomb is empty. Do you know what's happened? God's here. Jesus is alive. And instead of confusion, they would have had joy. See, brothers and sisters, we've got to find that balance. That's why he says, love me with your heart and with your mind. Know me both ways. Because you're going to need both to get through life. You're going to need moments where there is no facts to tell you which way to go. And in those moments, you're going to have to fall to your knees. You're going to have to go to the Father and say, Lord, which way? And with your gut and with your heart, you're going to have to listen and move. And there are going to be other times where you're in the darkness. You can't feel Him. You feel like He's gone. And you're going to have to fall back on what you know. But if you don't have both, there will be days where you will be completely astray. I was talking to a friend this week. And I said, one of the things that scares me the most about Christians is, I'm not sure how many of them know what their pastors are preaching. Probably the first month I was here, I was teaching Wednesday nights. And uh, I have a fun game I like to play called Atheist Luke. And uh, what Atheist Luke is, is I will come in, and after I've kind of taught you over a whole section of material, I will come in and tell you all the reasons it's wrong. And I will argue it very passionately. And I will argue it like I truly believe it. The problem is I don't tell you I'm doing this. And the reason I do that is I want to see how many of my people who've been on me with this journey through God's Word will go, hey, 
question, Pastor. The thing you just said is not accurate. Actually, the thing you just said, it's, it's nowhere in here. In fact, I have a few verses that contradict what you just said. You know the scary thing is? Is normally when I do Atheist Luke for the first time, it takes about 20 minutes for people to start realizing I'm saying the wrong stuff. In fact, in the early minutes, I'll have some people like, that's a great point. That's a really good point. I'm going to write that one down. I'm going to save that. Do you guys know the word enough to know whether I'm preaching to you truth or not? Do you know the word enough that when you're listening to some pastor on TV that you just don't assume that he's speaking truth because we call him pastor? But you know because you know what this word says. Brothers and sisters, I am not responsible for your, your faith. I'm responsible to guide you, to love you, to serve you, to protect you. But you are responsible for your relationship with God. You are responsible for knowing what His Word says. You are responsible for being there so that you know what the shepherd's voice sounds like. Because brothers and sisters, there's going to be times where you will be by yourself. And the shepherd will call. And the only way you'll know to come is if you know that voice. Do you know it? And understand, that is a very different question than, have you read your Bible? Have you gone to church? Have you gone to Sunday school? Are you a church member? Are you serving? Are you giving? I'm not asking any of those questions. I'm asking if you were walking on that road and Christ walked up beside you and said good morning, that your eyes would be clear enough to look at Him and go, Lord, man, I've been waiting for this day. Or would you be sitting there going, Oh, hi, stranger. Hi, I'm Luke. Let me introduce myself. How can I help you today? My fear is there's some of us in here, as much as we've talked about Him, as much as we've read about Him, He'd walk right up and sit down next to us and we'd have no idea who He was. It has to be a personal, intimate relationship. It has to be a relationship where you are hungry to be in His presence and to be with Him. If it is not that, then you will be whipped around by this world like a little kid in the backseat of a car. You've got to know Him. You've got to know what He said. You've got to know what He's done. And you've got to be in love with Him. When I was younger and I'd read the New Testament, you know what I'd always find? I was reading it like a textbook. I would read it and I'd look at what Jesus did and I'd try to interpret it into a lesson. And so I'd be like, okay, so... This story is about having your eyes open. Okay, this story is about doing the right thing. This story is about how to resist temptation. And you know what I was missing? I was missing how cool of a person Jesus was. Everything I was reading, though it was about Him, I was reading it like it was lessons from my life. Instead of reading and going, this Jesus guy is amazing. This Jesus guy is he's so profound. He's so smart. He's so wise. He's so loving. He's so powerful. He's even got a good sense of humor. I wasn't reading it and falling in love with Christ. I was reading it to go, what can I do with this? What can I learn from this? Brothers and sisters, guess what? You're a mess. Let's just be real. Each and every one of us in this room, we're a mess. I could give you all the rules in this book. I could give you all the philosophy in the world. It will not make you not a mess. 
It might clean you up a little bit, but it'd just be like, you know, when you have guests coming over and you just throw all the junk into a closet. Ever done that? Is that just me? You know, you have that one room, you're like, please, Lord, do not let them open that door. Because if they do, they will be buried in an avalanche of dirty clothes and toys and all kinds of junk that they're not supposed to see. Right? It gives the perception of cleanliness, but it's not there. The only way you change is when you walk with Him. The only way you're different is if He's present with you. You will never make yourself awesome. You can only make yourself a mirror that reflects His awesomeness. And that only comes from the passion to one, be with Him, and two, to know Him. Let me give you one last piece here. Look at verses 50 through 53. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. Do you notice something missing? For me, there's always been a bunch missing. I would have loved for him to give me the game plan. Wouldn't you have loved for him to be like, hey guys, I'm going to be gone for about 2,500 years. Then I'm going to show up in 2022 on May 2nd at 3.30 p.m. And we'll take care of all the rest of this. Oh, by the way, here's the big things you're going to encounter along that way. Let me map those out for you. Wouldn't you love if you could go into this book and be like, you know what? I want to get married to this person. I'm going to go to chapter 27 of Luke and it's going to tell me whether I do that or not. Or you know what? I got two job offers. Which one should I take? You know what? I'm going to go to the book of me. And in chapter 16, it's going to tell me exactly what job I'm supposed to take. Have you ever noticed none of those answers are in here? It's because here's what he knew. I need you to have faith. I need you to have faith. There are going to be millions of questions you don't know the answers to. There's going to be millions of things you don't understand. But the one thing you should always know is that your God is good, your God loves you, and your God is always present. And if you will trust your Heavenly Father, if you will pursue Him, He will answer all those questions you don't understand. But brothers and sisters, for Him to do that, you've got to know Him. You've got to know Him. Not know about Him. You need to know him. Some of you have settled for mediocrity. You have settled for a relationship with God that is just simply you coming to church, you saying a few prayers a day, maybe picking up your Bible, singing a few songs, and you feeling like you have a somewhat spiritual relationship. Stop settling. The relationship he offers is a life-changing, life-giving, love-pouring-out relationship. It's a game changer. Like literally, once you've been plugged into God, you can't imagine life without Him. I can't tell you who I'd be without Him. I have no idea. I have no clue. It's like trying to imagine what I'd be like without my wife and without my kids. I literally don't know. My whole entire life is consumed by it. It's not just this little portion. It's not just Sunday mornings. It's not just devotional time. It's everything. And it's intertwined in everything that I am. That's got to be the relationship. 
If that's not you, go after that. Chase that. Find that. Stop settling for the little low-hanging fruit and go for a life-changing relationship that He died to give you. You don't want God just to fix a few things in you. You want Him to make you born. You don't want a better version of you. You want a new you. That's what He offers. Chase that. Please don't be on the road walking next to Him wishing He was there with you. Open up the eyes and see Him. He is always there. I'm going to ask Maria to come on up and lead us in our final song. I'm going to ask Brother Joe to come with me. We're going to be available up here to pray. Brothers and sisters, don't, don't fool yourself. And what I mean by that is don't just think, hey, I've been to church. I've been a Christian. I've read my Bible. Look at yourself in the mirror and be honest. Do I know the Lord? And if you don't, come talk to us. We will help you meet Him. We will help you see Him. We will help you learn to hear His voice. Let's go to prayer. Let's all stand.